Pastor Randy, and uh, hello, everybody. Wonderful to uh, be spending time uh, together in this different way, uh, certainly than what we would be used to. Uh, We will be in um, Acts chapter 2 today. We'll be carrying on in our uh, series in the book of Acts. So if you would turn with me there, please, that would be great. If you don't have a a Bible, there should be a blue one underneath the seat in front of you. And if you're getting that one out, you're in big trouble because you're not supposed to be in the auditorium. One of our great uh, comforts as Christians is that God is not silent. He has spoken and indeed is still speaking in his written word. And may we hear that word this morning with a new sense of fervency. God is not far. He is near. And he has timely truth for us. May we sit on the edge of our seats, wherever it is right now we are watching. Because we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And in the midst of this massive upheaval we are experiencing... May we pause and listen to what the Lord would say to us uh, this morning, for we are people in need of a word from him. Last Sunday, Pastor Tad preached from the first section of Acts chapter 2. If you glance down in your Bibles, you'll see those verses that he covered with us in uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Thank you, Tad, for doing such a great job of that for us. He covered an event that's called Pentecost. It's the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Some very unusual things happened that day. Dramatic sights and sounds. Reactions of the people who were onlookers were varied, of course. Some asked what it meant, while others claimed that these early Christians were drunk at 9 a.m. In our passage for this morning, starting in verse 14, Peter stands and gives what's probably, with perhaps the exception of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Peter gives what is certainly the most famous sermon that's ever been given. So this is going to be a rather bizarre experience. You are watching a sermon on a screen, and this is a sermon on a sermon. So this is a sermon in a sermon on a screen. It's like inception all over again. But in this passage, Peter weaves together several Old Testament texts in order to explain the passage that Tad talked about last week. So if you happen to uh, be taking notes, uh, you could capture it this way. Acts chapter 2, verses 14 to 36 is Peter's sermon. And Acts chapter 2, verses 39 to 41 is the people's response. As we work through those two pieces uh, together today, you may have some questions or some prayer requests that come to mind as you are watching. Feel free to to enter those in your uh, computer or on your phone, and hopefully we'll be able to pray over those things and and maybe even follow up on some of those questions via uh, the chat uh, feature of Zoom. Now first, let's think together about Peter's uh, sermon. Like any good preacher, Peter breaks down his uh, message or his sermon into three parts. First, he's going to tell us about the promised spirit. 
Then he's going to tell us about the resurrection. And finally, he'll be telling us about uh, the ascension. So let's consider first together, starting in verse 14, the promised spirit. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire, vapor and smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, that great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Church Peter's big introduction to this tremendously important sermon is essentially this. We ain't drunk. No, we're observing what Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 13 tells us, that this is what the prophet Joel wrote about long ago. This, Peter's saying, is what Joel told us would happen. Verses 17 to 21 come from the book of Joel, in fact, Joel chapter 2. That's why if you look in your Bibles, you'll see them those verses indented. And while Peter's explanation or his reference of Joel might make the event a little more confusing for us initially, for Peter's audience, the point would have been loud and clear. What Peter's hearers were seeing that day, that day of Pentecost, as the Holy Spirit was being poured out, was in fact deeply connected to what the Jews had so been longing for, for a deliverer, for a Messiah, for a rescuer to come. Church in the Old Testament, the followers of God were not indwelled permanently by the Holy Spirit. No, the, the glory of God, the presence of God, resided primarily in a temple. And this morning we feel something of distance from each other by virtue of not being in the same place. And in the Old Testament, for some people, at some times, usually for some specific occasion, they were filled with the Spirit. But in the Old Testament, the experience of the presence of God within was not common. It wasn't what every follower of the Lord knew. There was, however, a great promise that in the future every believer would come to know the comfort and transformation and power of God within. Joel was one of those prophets who promised that. That's what verse 17 is saying. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Meaning, 
God promised that one day he would give every one of his followers the Spirit permanently. I love that word pour. God said, I will pour out my Spirit. Church, we live on this side of the events of Acts 2 as the people of God, and so the Spirit of God has been poured out upon us. This isn't a drizzle. It's not a brief shower. No, this is a glorious downpour of the glory of God into the hearts of the people of God. What an amazing truth. Do you grasp what that means? Brothers and sisters, God's not practicing any social distance this morning with his kids. No, he has put his spirit within So he is, in fact, close. So close, he's in. Jesus called this Holy Spirit the helper. And he said in John chapter 14 that he would send the helper who would be with us forever. Jesus would later go on to say of this Holy Spirit, It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus is saying that that's what Joel was about. Peter's saying that's what Joel was referencing. Friends, some of us feel so incredibly alone right now. Our daily rhythms have been thrown tremendously out of whack. No school, no work, no coffee shop, No restaurant, no movies, no assembly at Church on Mill, no parties. And we may in the coming days be ordered to stay in our homes, to not leave our apartments, to not open the doors of our dorms. It's easy to feel isolated. There's the potential for a loneliness many of us have never known. But in these days, these last days, these days between the the incarnation of Jesus and the return of Jesus Christ, we can be confident that we are not alone. For God, the Spirit, is within. This helper has been poured out for us. The power of God, the presence of God, the comfort of God, the peace of God, the love of God, the help of God, the mercy of God. All of these are ours not from afar, but from the very presence of God with us all the time. Now, how can that be? How is it that a perfect God can be that near to a people who still struggle with sin. Well, that's exactly the main point Peter is making in this message, particularly in his quotation of Joel 2. You see, it's easy to think that Acts chapter 2 and Joel chapter 2 is principally about the Holy Spirit. All the imagery of verses 17, 18, 19, and part of verse 20, though they're building to the peak, to the high point. Chapter 2, verse 21, 
And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the climax. How is it that everyone, everyone, Jew and Gentile, young and old, rich and poor, sick and healthy, afraid and confident, smart and foolish, educated and uneducated, how is it that the Spirit can be poured out upon all? Well, it's because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, Jesus, will be saved. Everyone who turns from sin and turns to Jesus Christ will be rescued from a life of sin and be given new life in him. This ministry of Jesus is carried out today by the Spirit as he continues the ministry, the work, the kindness of God. And the only adequate response to this call is, in fact, to respond by calling on the name of the Lord. And then to listen. To listen to what the Spirit would tell us through the Word for every day, for every moment, especially ones like this. Churchill Mill, this series through Acts was planned months ago. But it's no accident that we're here in this passage today. The Spirit's been poured out. Brother, God is with you. Sister, God is in you. You're not alone. Now, Peter's explanation, his, his sermon, moves forward as he moves from speaking first about the Spirit now to talking very directly for the rest of the sermon about Jesus. First, he's going to talk to us about the resurrection of Jesus. If you're following along in your Bible, you could look with me now at verse 22. Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This man, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death, because it is not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him. Here comes another quotation from the Old Testament. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad. My tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath beforehand to him that he would one day set one of his descendants on his throne. 
he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Jesus, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption, but Jesus, God, raised up. And of that, we are all witnesses. One of the most powerful themes, church, running through the Old Testament is this promise that God would send a Messiah, a king, a deliverer, who would reign forever. This king would come from the line of David. This king would lead God's people into all of God's blessings. And for generation after generation after generation, the Jews, God's people, had prayed for and longed for the day in which that Messiah would come. And that Messiah did come. That's Jesus. But then they killed him. They killed the one they'd been longing and praying for. He he wasn't the Messiah they were expecting. Therefore, he was not the king they would accept. And then Jesus died on a cross. Jesus, brothers and sisters, was delivered up to death as God had determined in advance. And yet Jesus was also raised. Jesus is the promised one. He is sitting on David's throne today. How do we know? Well, because he's resurrected. Verses 25 to 28 are a quotation from Psalm 16. This is a psalm that David wrote. And Peter's point is incredibly powerful as he reaches back into what we would call his Old Testament. He reaches into that psalm and he says, that psalm is actually about Jesus. You see, David could not have been writing about himself. Peter's audience that day could have left where they were, walked perhaps nothing more than a few hundred yards to David's tomb where his body was rotten in the grave. So David couldn't have been talking about himself. No, he's talking about Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the one who couldn't rot in the grave. Jesus is the one in whose presence there's fullness of joy. And it's the spirit that brings us that presence. Jesus is the one who couldn't remain in the grave. He's alive and well. Verse 24 is always a riveting and powerful verse, but it certainly rings more loudly today than perhaps any of us will have heard it ringing in our ears before. Hear it again. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Church, in the death and resurrection of Jesus, death itself was defeated. Now that doesn't mean, of course, that no one will die again. As of 9 a.m. this morning, 13,000 676 people have died from COVID-19. Unless Jesus returns first, 
more are going to die. More today. More tomorrow. More on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And friends, that more could include some of us. But death being unable to hold Jesus in the grave is not without meaning, and it's not without power. You see, the grave being unable to hold Jesus, Jesus rising from the dead, means not that we won't experience physical death, but that death has lost its sting. For the Christian, you see, there is now no condemnation in death. Death is not the judgment that's ushering the way into hell. No, church, to be absent from this body is to be present physically with our Lord. Friends, these, these convictions that Jesus conquered death, that he's the resurrection, that in him there is life, that we now have an eternal spiritual life that quite literally will never, ever, ever die. That even if we die physically, that is not the end. These truths are the anchors that we need to hold on to as we are battered about by the raging seas of such a tumultuous point in the history of the world. Christian, you can get up tomorrow with confidence. This confidence is not that God has promised that you or a loved one will not get the virus. This confidence is that Jesus has won. The grave couldn't hold him. He is Lord. And by the Spirit, he is within us. And so church, wherever we are, may we lift up our heads. May we have a calm confidence in our Lord Jesus Christ. Because the death couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't keep him. But not only was Jesus resurrected, the passage in its next movement, in, in fact, in Peter's last portion of his sermon, goes on to talk about his ascension, where Jesus reigns as meteor, mediator of all God's blessings today. Micah Newkirk is going to come read for us that text, Acts 2, 33 to 36. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Thank you, son. He's a nicer, easier Newkirk to look at, huh? Now this forms the last part of Peter's sermon. This third part gets to the way in which the sermon's gathered together. You'll notice that Peter again quotes from David. 
this time from Psalm 110. And he's saying, what happened after the resurrection? Well, Jesus ascended to heaven. He was exalted to the right hand of God. The right hand is the position, it's the seat of unique honor, of power, of glory, of privilege. For Jesus to be at the right hand of God means that Jesus now, right now, wherever we are watching this, as churches around the world are gathered around the word in their own unique ways today, Jesus is sitting on the throne mediating salvation and the Spirit, continuing the ministry he started today by virtue of his Spirit within us. You see, the ascension, brothers and sisters, shows, it demonstrates that Jesus is Lord and Christ. That means that he rules and reigns. He's king, and he's bestowing all of God's blessings on all the people of God. He's poured out the Spirit because he is the exalted one. That's really what this passage is all about. If we could capture it in a sentence, maybe somebody could write this down for us in the chat so we can all see it. The arrival of the Spirit shows that Jesus Christ is Lord. The arrival of the Spirit shows that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord. That's Peter's sermon in a sentence. Now, that's his sermon, but what was the response? Well, friends, it is most remarkable. Let me read it and then just briefly make a couple more comments. Look down at verse 37 where we see the people's response. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, referring to the apostles, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off. Everyone who calls, whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued his exhortations, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. For those ready to listen, God's word is like a surgeon's scalpel. It cuts, but not for the purpose of causing harm. It cuts to bring healing. In this case, to remove deadness and to put in life. This news that Jesus is Lord in Christ, that in the last days we are now in, that he has conquered death, and that our sin, our sin is the cause of this death. Only one response is appropriate to that truth. 
is repent. Meaning, admit, admit what you've done. Admit who you are. And because of that repentance, then demonstrate with the outward sign of repentance, the outward sign of of baptism that you have been cleansed from sin and you have been included in God's new people. Turn from sin and then with, with a view to that repentance, symbolize it, show it by being placed under water and rise up again. Brothers and sisters, the response that day was tremendous. The church was born. May we hear the cry of this text. All. All. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? Overnight. Have you noticed that that every doorknob every light switch, every steering wheel, every faucet, every serving spoon has suddenly come into the very forefront of our consciousness. There is a palpable sense of urgency to slow the virus's spread. This is what's caused us to be aware that everything we touch matters. There's a a sense in which there's a gravity about this moment. There's an urgency. Church, what if we felt this same urgency about the gospel? What if every conversation we were aware? That's what we see in this passage. There, There is an urgency to respond to Jesus in these last days. Friend, if you're watching this this morning and you're not a Christian, today's the day for repentance. Won't you turn from sin and turn back to God? The Lord Jesus Christ will save you. And then, won't you even reach out to us, begin a conversation with us, so that when Church on Mill is able to gather again physically, we can begin preparations even now for you to be baptized, for you to show that you have in fact been saved. And then Christian, in particular those of you watching who make up Church on Mill, God is within you. He is Lord. May May we sit down in these truths. May we lift up our eyes. May we stand up straight. May we, even though we may feel some physical fear and anxiety, know with confidence that what matters most is held secure, that we are his, that he is within. Today, there's a wide door for Christians to share the gospel. That door has been flung wide open by a worldwide crisis. Brothers and sisters, may we not miss this moment. 
May we share this gospel generously. Thanks so much for watching. Will you pray with me?